Hey everyone, I'm Gracie. Welcome to the Grace of Military Child podcast. The world should know how unique military children are. We may look like normal children on the outside, but we go through some pretty extraordinary circumstances that shape us to the leaders we are today. Keep listening to hear the incredible journey this week's guest has been on. Hi, Deborah. Welcome to the podcast. How are you? I'm great. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being here and sharing your story. So tell me a little bit about your parent who served and um, what that kind of was like. Um, Well, my dad served during World War II um, back in the 40s. Okay. And um, I wasn't born until 1957. So it was pre me. But, um, you know, we heard lots of stories um, about um, his time in California. Um, He was at Camp Roberts and California, and he is a mechanic by trade. So um, he did a logistics work at the base um, and after his basic training and um, he he served there till the end of the war. So um, but he's a really great guy. Yeah, I'm sure. What's it like? You know, growing up, even though you're kind of like post his military service, what's it like growing up, you know, having a parent who served in World War II and, you know, even a grandparent who served in World War I? Well, they my whole family is very patriotic. My mother actually had four brothers that all served in World War II also. So um, both sides of my family were very patriotic. Um, And I grew up in Biloxi, Mississippi, uh, right down the road from Keesler Air Force Base. And um, my dad had his own business. And of course, being ex-military, you know, a lot of military people came to him and, um, you know, he always tried to help him out whenever he could. But, um, you know, it just um, it instilled a great sense of pride for me. You know, um, there is a, a big veteran center, which Kiesler Air Force Base was on one side of us and the Black CVA was on the other side of us. So we grew up with military all around us. Um, but one of the things that I remember Um, growing up that kind of made me sad was that um, going to public school, a lot of my friends, their parents were in the Air Force, you know, being military children, and um, they would come and go, you know, and we would lose touch. So that was probably the one sad thing that I remember um, about growing up around the military, you know. Yeah, I think a lot of people can relate to that saying like the hardest thing is, you know, losing friends and moving as a child. It's the hardest thing because, you know, most children don't grow up moving. So it's hard to even relate to them in that aspect. Um, But did you ever experience like going to Keesler or, you know, being on base since you were so close? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Um, In fact, um, when I was growing up, the base was more open than it is now, you know, because of all of the turmoil in the world. Um, But 
um, you could get passes to go out there. And they always had air shows, you know, being in the Air Force Base. Um, and then we had the hurricane hunters um, that were there. And um, there was always a lot of activities. But, you know, you could go into you know, lots of different things there on the base. And it was, it was really something to see. Yeah. You kind of had an outside view, like you were a military child, your, you know, family is military, but you had that view of seeing it all from the outside of, you know, you're not in it, you're not moving, you're not, you know, living on base, but you're kind of all watching it happen. So what kind of what did you learn from that rather than what you would experience while moving? Well, you know, I think that um, you you grow up learning how diverse the world is. You know, you meet a lot of different people from a lot of different cultures and, um, you know, you, you gain a lot of knowledge about the different ways that people do things and believe and, and you know, they all brought pieces of them with them when they came and they would share that with you. And, um, I think that that helps to make us all grow and to be more understanding of other people. Yeah. There's a lot of, you know, living on bases, it's a lot of coming and going, but there's a lot of, you know, connection between the military children. And there's a lot of, you know, like you said, diversity, because, you know, I have friends who had lived in Germany. I had a friend who moved to Hawaii. So like when she left Texas, she moved to Hawaii. And so, you know, she was able to bring that Texas culture to Hawaii. And then like when she moved back to Texas, you know, she has that Hawaiian culture in her as well. So, you know, kind of moving all about, you gain this worldly knowledge of, you know, it's not just what's in this little bubble of where I am now. Right, right. So one of the things uh, when I was a teenager, um, the Vietnam War was in full swing, I guess you could say. And, um, you know, a lot of um, the young people that I grew up with, their brothers and sisters um, were being drafted into the military, you know, and of course that was um, a big um, dividing era for the country, you know, because a lot of people were against the Vietnam War. And so the people that were going um, overseas, um, it was really hard on them and their families. So being from a military family, um, you know, we tried to support them as much as we could. Um, and, you know, that was really a difficult, probably one of the most difficult times you know, that when I grew up, because um, I had friends that their brothers didn't come back home, you know, and um, that was really hard. Yeah. They'll have a prisoner of war bracelet, um, Corporal Dodge, and um, which he didn't make it back. But um, they have a website where you can go online and um, you can track your bracelet you know, and the people and the families keep in touch with you. And I think that's really, really something good. Yeah, that's really unique too about, you know, that era of time and, you know, something that you can cherish and look back on. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. What is it like, you know, being in that time frame and kind of trying to process what's going on? You know, you said you were just a teenager. So how is that, you know, challenging? How did you kind of, you know, walk through those times? Well, you know, you saw a lot of, you know, that was the make love, not war era, you know, all that kind of stuff. Uh, people were were fleeing to Canada and other places trying to dodge the draft. And, um, you know, I really couldn't support their efforts. I tried to understand their thoughts. You know, I mean, you know, going to war isn't for everyone, but, um, you know, that. I think they tried to make the people that did go and serve um, and try to protect us and protect our freedoms. Um, you know, I I felt bad for them because I felt like they were so misunderstood and so unappreciated. Maybe that's the word I wanted. They were so unappreciated. And, um, you know, I've always tried to be supportive of that, you know, of them. Yeah, this is something that's like, you know, widely displayed in like history books and, you know, taught in public schools and private schools and, you know, things like that nowadays. So what is it like, you know, comparing the way it's taught in schools and to, you know, this generation to, you know, living in it and experiencing it firsthand? Well, I, um, I don't know. Have you ever been to the World War II Museum? Have you ever been to any of those? Um, Probably at least once. I am not sure. Yeah. I can't remember. <laughs> it's really amazing. But um, I think some, some historical, um, I guess, when, when certain areas document historical data they're very accurate and mm -hmm. then i think that some um sometimes they try to edit it to make it um to what they want people to believe it was you know what i'm saying um they're not very factual and um, everything. I, I actually have some friends. I, I know uh, some people that were in Vietnam. Um, they're still alive, of course, and they have um, really horrific medical problems. And it's because they were sprayed with Agent Orange, you know, mm -hmm. and, um, you know, it it's just amazing. I mean, these these men were young kids, you know, right. over there fighting. And, and that was really a, a tough war. You know, the chemical warfare over there was something that um, they have lived a lifetime with, you know. And I think a lot of people forget um, about that. You know, they see people and, um, excuse me, they you know, you, you hear about people with PTSD and, and some of the side effects that, that they have that we, we know is there, but I don't think unless you really live with some of the things that they have to bring home with them, or they do bring home with them, that, um, 
we try to understand, but I think it's probably something that, um, you know, it's so personal and it's just so hard to, to deal with on a day-to-day basis. You know, your life is never the same again. Right. And, you know, tracking, you know, all the way back to, you know, some of the first wars all the way to, you know, present day that's experienced in, you know, these men and women who serve, Um, you know, coming back and seeing, you know, from my generation of, you know, these men and women coming back home, you know, injured or wounded, you know, you see that, you know, I live with that on a daily basis of seeing that firsthand, um, the struggle, you know, um, any soldier who deploys, you know, comes back with at least something, you know, PTSD is going to be a huge, uh, I guess, factor, um, that you notice firsthand, um, you know, first when you come back, you know, that transition from, being deployed to coming back to the civilian world. Yeah, that's true. That's true. You know, my grandfather, he never wanted to talk about, you know, the things that he had seen mm-hmm. uh, overseas. And, um, you know, I, I, I think the older I, I, when I was younger, I didn't understand it, you know, why he yeah. wouldn't talk to us about it. But I think the more that you learn about it, um, the more you kind of understand, you know? Yeah. Learning about it and learning about like what actually happened, it, you have more of a respect saying, okay, you know, I know that it's a hard, you know, conversation to have. And like, I understand that if you don't want to have that and, you know, even a lot of the guys now, it's hard to have that conversation with too. So it like, it's not something that it's just like, you know, a specific generation. It's, you know, all, you know, generations. Sometimes it's just hard to have those conversations of what actually went on over there and what actually happened. Yeah. You know, um, uh, a lot of people signed up for the military after 9-11. Mm-hmm. Okay, so a lot of people signed up in World War II after Pearl Harbor. Right. Yeah, my dad was seventeen when he joined the army, and that that's pretty amazing, isn't it? Yeah. And um, I mean, he couldn't even buy a drink anywhere. He couldn't have a beer, you know. <laughs> but he he could fight, you know. Yeah. And um, because it was just. The times. I mean, to think now of a 17-year-old joining the military and going into war, you know, parents would just be horrified to know that their child was doing that. And, you know, back then, parents, you know, they they understood that everybody had to, to pull together, you know, and it was yeah. really, I think, you know. Yeah, it takes, you know, it literally takes an army to fight a war and like you have to form that army. You can't just, you know, say, yeah. okay, go. Like you can't send like random people off necessarily. You have to form that army. You have to form that brotherhood, that strength between everyone and then be like, okay, now, you know, off you go. And, you know, mentioning nine 11 and, you know, that's like my generation, that's the war that, you know, I've lived through. And right. so, you know, seeing, you know, I wasn't born when 9-11 happened. I was, you know, 
I was born about a, six months later, something around there, nine months later. Yeah. And so, you know, seeing it unfold, like, you know, from a child all the way up until now, kind of, you know, when the war is, you know, I guess you can say over. So like seeing that on all unfold, it's an emotional journey. Like it really is. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. So, you know, I have I have no desire to travel to New York. But if I went, the one thing I would go for would be to see the memorial. Yeah, that's such I haven't been. I went to New York, you know, uh, prior to that being built. But, you know, it is it's on my bucket list to see it and to see kind of, you know, where all of it is and how it takes shape. But, you know, it's just some of those things that these memorials like are just breathtaking. Yeah, it's it's so sad to think about. Why we have the memorial, right? but it's such a blessing to know that people remember. Right. You know? Yeah, I will never forget when we were in D.C., um, first off, my, my trips to DC include museums and monuments. That's pretty much it. That's my DC trip. Um, yeah. and food and food because we have been so many times we have our specific food places now. But I will never forget it was like our second trip to DC. It was in 2013. I believe it was 2013 or 2014. And we were kind of just walking around like aimlessly. Um, we were by the Capitol building. Like I could see the Capitol. It was huge. And we st- kind of stumbled upon um, a memorial that we had. I think we knew that it existed, but we weren't kind of sure exactly where it was. Um, you know, in my like I was probably about like 10 or 11 at that time. So like my 10 and 11 eyes, you know, may have saw it a little different. We may have been kind of hunting it down, but we kind of just stumbled upon it. And it was a Purple Heart uh, Memorial. And so that was insane. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. I believe it had just opened, too. And so mm-hmm. that was just incredible. Yeah. Oh my gosh. My, my daughters had a friend and her husband was serving in Iraq and, um, they were securing a building and, um, outside of, I believe it's Kabul, Mm -hmm. Kabul for sure how to say it, but, um, he was electrocuted and nearly died. It was so horrible. I mean, he was 20 years old and, you know, I mean, it was just, it was a wire that they had thought that, you know, wasn't live and they had told them to, to get everything off the roof. You know, they were securing it. And, um, a couple, there was two of them that were actually electrocuted from it. And, um, you know, you think about people at war being shot and, you know, devices explain, but there's so many other things that happen to people. And, um, you know, when you, when you think about all of the people that sacrifice, the people that, and my story, getting back to the purple heart, the, the people that saved him, 
you know, I mean, the the people that that immediately jumped to, uh, you know, his rescue uh, were the only reason that he survived. Mm-hmm. You know? And, um, you know, when you think about the the Purple Heart recipients that didn't make it back, but there are so many that did and the things that they did that were so courageous, you know, mm-hmm. that, that I would enjoy seeing that. I would enjoy that monument. Yeah. Yeah. It was yeah. such a special one. And there um there was like a little section for each branch too. Oh, which was yeah. it was really cool. And you know, not kind of knowing that it was there, but you know, kind of just stumbling upon it was really cool and you know, incredible to see because you know. There's so many out there that, you know, like you were saying, like people who jump to the rescue and you don't even know who these people are half the time. Yeah. Um, And there, you know, it's just, you know, that military brotherhood of, you know, just jumping to someone else's aid, that selflessness of, okay, we're going to save your life, but I might put my life in, you know, harm's way at the same time. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It's just amazing. It's amazing. Yeah. And so like, you know, seeing all of these monuments and memorials, you know, you have to be kind of important to, you know, get one of these monuments or memorials. And so it's just really cool to see, you know, Purple Heart getting one. And, you know, it was it's fairly new compared to what's there now. Um But, you know, we were just in D.C. a couple months ago. And so seeing I hadn't seen all of these things, you know, quite a few years. And so going back, you know, as an adult now and seeing seeing it from adult eyes instead of, you know, little little girl eyes, (laughs) it's it's a lot different. You know, you have so much more respect for these things Um, in like the World War One and two monuments and the Vietnam and you know, things like that. It's just incredible. It is. It truly is. It truly is. Yeah. What kind of experiences have you had kind of, you know, saying that your family is very patriotic? What kind of experiences have you had, you know, growing up to kind of shape that into part of who you are? Well, you know, I think just the example that my parents said, um, you know, they, just the way they lived their lives, you know? And, um, and then I've always found myself attracted to things that support the military, you know, um, whether it's the military dogs or, you know, I'll, you know, Mike Ritland, I follow him and, and, um, but, um, and then the Wounded Warrior Project has been one of my favorites for a long time. And that, of course, is how I met your dad. Yes. And that was, that was amazing. That was amazing. And um, so, you know, I just, um, you know, I don't, I don't know. I, um, I don't know that you can put your finger on just one or two things. I think it's just maybe how you were raised and, yeah. you know, you don't, um, 
it's not really an expectation or something that you seek out, but it's just in your being. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. It's definitely something that, you know, you can learn it. You can definitely learn it. You can, you know, as you grow older, you can, you know, apply it to your life if you don't grow up in, you know, a family that's patriotic or, you know, necessarily shows the support to the military. You know, they could support the military, but if they don't show it, you know, it's kind of like a a different thing. Um, but you can you can teach it to yourself, but it's definitely harder and you can basically instill it from birth. Like, you know, growing up, I was always taught to, you know, stand for the flag, hand over my heart, you know, things like that. And so it's something that you learn from a young age and growing up. And then you can you can kind of role model it for other people and for those around you who may not, you know, necessarily understand. And that's one thing that I kind of enjoyed about, uh, you know, I went to a public school for nine well, not nine years until I was nine years old. And then I went to a military school. And so seeing the comparison between the two different schools is insane. Like there was not much of a military population where I was because we were a suburb of Cleveland, Ohio. And so, you know, not many military population there. Um, So it was kind of, it was a weird transition to an actual military school. where, you know, we actually, I don't remember that doing this in Ohio, but like every morning we set the Pledge of Allegiance. We <laughs> did uh, the Texas Pledge and then we sang a song. Like that was the morning routine, like morning announcements would start. You'd stand, you'd say the Pledge of Allegiance, the Texas Pledge. And the and it was like a weekly thing. Well, every day you did do a different song. So like I don't remember many of them, but I believe it was like Tuesday or Thursday would be my country to Sophie. So like every single day, there'd be a new song that you'd sing. And so, you know, that was just something that we did every single morning. Yeah, we used to do that too in school. You know, you're a Brando flag, God bless America, you know. Yes. Battle Hymn of the Republic. I mean, it just, um, and now they, it's just gone by the wayside, you know. Right. But you got to love Texas. I, I mean, know. <laughs> yeah, Texas is military USA. A thousand percent. Oh, where else is they are? That is true. That is true. Yeah. And, you know, the closer you are to a base, I mean, we lived on base. And so, but the closer you are to a base, you know, the more military populated it is, the more military USA it is. But if you go anywhere else in the state, like, it's the same exact thing anywhere in the world, you know, it's just kind of this little bubble of military, you know, on the base. And then, you know, most of the time it spreads a little bit outside of base. Cause you know, a lot of families live off base and, you know, their children go to public schools still. Um, that's just the life that, you know, families choose, but in Texas, the whole state is that bubble. It's all, you know, military town there. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I love him. Was you know he's ninety six, and yeah. he'll be here. And um, uh, he's lived with me for quite a while. But um, 
we went last January to um, Texas and um, went down. He wanted to go see the border wall. So we just did a little tour of Southern Texas, you know, and, and, um, but it was just, he just loved it, you know, and he wore, he, he has a World War II hat and yeah. he wore, you know, and, um, you know, people would always come up and talk to him, you know, and um, to him, you know, it's pretty amazing that people still appreciate his service. Yeah. Me tear up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. As you know, you know, time goes on. And, you know, while it may have not felt that way in the moment that, you know, service was appreciated um, back in the day, you know, as time goes on and how, you know, it unfolds and as, you know, more is learned because there's still, you know, constantly things we're learning about these wars. Um, But as time goes on, you know, the world grows more and more appreciative of, you know, what actually went plate went went on and what took place and you know comes more appreciative of the service I agree I agree yeah and you know it's sad that you know it took you know so long like you know it took decades but you know it's come to a point where it's like okay it's about time now like that's true it's true yeah and there's definitely a lot more, you know, to do, but yeah. What are you going to do? What? Is- yeah, I am looking to be a doctor in something. I'm not sure, you know, quite what yet. I'm currently in college. Yeah. Um, I am getting a bachelor's in health science with a minor in marketing. Um. And so I'm kind of looking to see from there. I go back and forth whether I want to do like marketing as my future, but I always kind of um, land back on something in the medical field. I have loved, I fell in love with anatomy when I was like, well, I mean, I guess you could go all the way back to when I was a child. Um, I, my mom did a blood drive. And so she got these little blood cells. There were red blood cells, white blood cells, and platelets. And they were these little kind of like stuffies, um, little stuffed animals and, you know, just of different blood cells. And so I found that to be the coolest thing. Um, We don't know where they are, unfortunately. We think they got lost in a move, but they were the coolest thing. And she literally had to, she wanted to get them for us. And so she literally had to give her blood and then she got those in return as like a thank you gift. And so she did that for us. Um, But so I loved, you know, those little things. And then when I was in fifth grade in Texas, one of our, you know, we did kind of science rotations. And so our teacher would teach one specific science class, and then we'd move on to the next teacher. And that teacher would teach another science lesson. We'd move on to the next teacher. She'd teach another science. And then we'd just move on down the line through them all. Um, And so like the first semester, um, the first half of the year was kind of just like your basic science stuff. Um, So weather and like rocks and I don't know, whatever else it was. (laughs) And then 
in the second half of the semester uh, or of the year, the second semester was um, they called it sixth grade science rotations um, to prepare us for sixth grade since we'd be going into middle school and it would be a lot, a lot different then. And so uh, my teacher did the digestive system. The following teacher did the muscular system. Uh, the next one was brain uh, and like the nervous system. The next was the cardiac system. And then I think nervous system was split between the brain and like nerves. Uh, and that was two different teachers. And then there was one more. Um, I forget what they focused on there, but I just fell in love. I loved it. That was, it was my jam. <laughs> like that was what I loved. Um, and you know, muscles were my favorite. That was what I, what I loved to do. Um, I would come home and like one of our assignments was to label, like just get little pieces of paper and tape the muscles onto like either your body or someone else's at home. And so I was like, Kaylee, come here. And I grabbed my sister and I taped all this, these muscles to her, um, these little, little card labels. And I loved that. That was like my thing. And so I did that all the time. And then once I started, you know, middle school and high school, I kind of didn't remember it um, that much. And I didn't like, you know, love it because, you know, that's what you, you don't learn that stuff in sixth grade. We did not learn that. They're like, these are your sixth grade science rotations. And I'm like, <laughs> we did not learn that in sixth grade, but okay. <laughs> so, um, when I was in, I believe it was 10th grade. One of my options was anatomy and physiology. And so that was my third science credit. I had done biology I had done chemistry and then I was like, I'm doing anatomy. I'm going to take anatomy. And so I literally passed that class with like a 96 and a 98 for the two semesters. And so that was like my thing. And then, um, you know, coming into college, it's like, what do you do? What do you want to do? Um, and I was taking anatomy that year. And my mom was like, you need to look into medical. And I was like, no, not happening. You know, because I had grown up in a hospital setting and things like that. And so I was like, no, not I, I can't deal with that. Like on a daily basis, I can't work in that that environment. And so it was a you well, you don't have to do surgeries. You don't have to work in an ER. You can kind of do other things. And so she suggested athletic training or physical therapy. And so I fell in love with athletic training. I loved it. I love sports. I'm a huge sports person. So it kind of combined medical and sports. And I was like, okay, this is perfect. A grandson that is majoring in sports therapy. Yeah. It started out and he was in nursing and um, in college. And so he, um, he changed his major to sports medicine. Yeah. Sports yeah. And he really likes that. Yeah. That's awesome. I, you know, where I am, you know, where I'm going, what was offered was exercise science. And so that's what I was kind of going for exercise science. And it taught, you know, kind of like the movement of the body and, you know, basic foundations of that. But then I was like, okay, 
I was so far ahead because I did dual enrollment credits in high school. So I was like 19 credits ahead. I hadn't taken a single science class. I was in biology and I was like, okay, I'm going to have to take kind of my first year and fill it with a couple science classes. And then my second semester, my second year, my uh, sophomore year, I'd have to fill it with like a ton of science classes and basically other random pointless classes. And so I was like, okay, I feel like I'm wasting my time here because one, I'd be taking like two, three science classes, you know, a semester. And I was not doing that. Um, everyone says science classes are the hardest and I can agree with that. (laughs) So, um, I struggled through biology. I aced anatomy, um, but struggled through biology and I knew I was going to struggle through chemistry. So that's why I haven't taken it yet. Um, and so, you know, I was like, I'm not taking, you know, just science classes, basically my sophomore year, I'm not doing that. Um, and so that's when I made the switch to health sciences because I can, it's a basic health degree. I can go anywhere with it. Um, there were so many free electives that I could plug in um, whatever I needed for my graduate degrees. So I went that route and then I'm like, okay, maybe athletic training is not for me. Um, maybe find something else. And so I looked into physical therapy again, said, nope, not for me either. Um, and so I kind of looked into marketing at that time, um, like reading through my advisor notes and all the meetings I have with her discussing all of this, it's hilarious going back and forth of what I'm doing. Um, but so I'm like, okay, well now I need to find something else and I really want my doctorate. So, um, I'm kind of settled on primary medicine and rehabilitation right now. Um, and so that's kind of, from what I understand of it right now, it kind of does, it's a basic doctorate degree. It does everything. Um, you get like a general MD um, or DO. And so you kind of just do that. And then you specialize in primary medicine and rehabilitation. And then you go from there. And I'm like, okay, this might be a good, a good field for me. I can specialize in sports from there. And you know, we'll see. We'll see where it goes from there. So has the COVID epidemic affected your college um, yes. class? Do you feel like you've maybe missed out on, um, you know, there? there's something to be said for being in a group meeting. You learn from other people, yep. you know, so doing your studies online is good but you lose a little bit of the advantage of meeting other people and getting new ideas. And do you feel like that's affected um, you at all? I mean, yeah. So from when I moved to Florida in seventh grade, all the way through uh, high school, I did virtual school. So I was kind of, you know, I already understood the virtual setting. I already knew all of that. And so when it came to COVID, I was in my senior year of high school. Um, I was in my last semester and COVID hit. So my graduation ceremony was online. So I didn't get to walk the stage or anything, which, you know, broke my heart. 
And so that was like the biggest thing that, you know, has stuck out all of this that, you know, resents, like I resent that. Um, And so that was like the first like major thing um, where I couldn't walk the stage, you know, I couldn't do all of that. And then going into high uh, to college, you know, my school had put a plan in place um, when COVID first started and they kind of carried that through, um, all the way up until this fall, fall 21. And so my first full year, my freshman year was, I signed up for classes, um, over the summer. Once I was admitted to the college and I did my orientation, I signed up for classes and I signed up for statistics, biology, visual artistry all on campus and then world music culture and one other class forget what the oh nutrition human nutrition and well and wellness and those two were both online so I did three on campus and two online well because COVID wasn't going away anytime soon my schedule got flipped around. And so my statistics class was moved completely online. There was no like Zoom lectures or anything. It was just online. My art history class moved from in-person to Zoom. So I still had Zoom every week for that. Um, So like I still got to talk to people because she'd make us, um, she did break us out into small groups. Um, So we would, you know, work on projects together. And my biology class you know, it's kind of funny the way that uh, they did it. So my lectures, she pre-recorded, and so she just posted them on YouTube. Um, and so they were ready for us to watch whenever, you know, it fit best in our schedule, um, which was nice. But then we had a lab because it was a lab component class. Um, and that was broken up into... The class was split in half. So our class was like, pretty sure it was like 64 students. And so she split it in half. Half of us would come in for the first half of the class. We'd switch out. And then the second half would come in for the second half of the class. Um, so we weren't all there together. And so that's how we did it for, for that semester. And then the following semester um, was the spring. And it was pretty much the same way. Um, except they did not put the classes um, marked on campus. Like if they were online in the fall, they were online in the spring. So I took four classes online. My fifth class was anatomy and my lecture was on Zoom, which was great. But it's also, again, hard to meet people, hard to, you know, understand topics. So it was a lot harder. Um, you know, you're taking anatomy and physiology. It's the hardest class you're going to take in your life, more or less. And um, taking it online is definitely more of a challenge. Um, and then, again, the class was split in half. There were um, 32 of us to a class, I believe. And so 16 of us came in for the first half of the session. 16 of us came in for the second half. And we all had our own tables. Um, you know, we kind of did some partner work, but it was very, very minimal, very rare. Um, everyone was masked for, you know, the entire time. So that was, you know, something else we did do our quizzes. Um, and then we just do like a little lab and then we would, 
if it was an exam day, we'd come in, we'd take our exam. And then as soon as you finish the exam, you left. So if I, well, I normally did, it was a 70 question exam. I'd finish it in like 20 minutes. And so I'd do my exam, I'd get up and leave and that's it. So it was definitely different. Um, and then the summer they started opening up again. Um, I choose to do just about all my classes online over the summer just because it's more convenient for me. So all my classes were online for the summer um, just because I wanted it that way. And then uh, this fall, everything went back to normal and I was so happy. I did. um, Yeah. I only had one class on campus because my degree that I'm, you know, working on now is a primarily online degree. That's how it was before COVID happened. That's how it is now. Um, So I only had one class on campus, which was still nice. So I got to meet so many friends and, you know, kind of just live the college life. So like I found myself in office hours every week, at least once a week with my anatomy teacher, just because like, you know, I'm a teacher's pet. I'm a nerd. So, you know, that's, that's one reason why I was always there. Um, but it was nice to just be around, you know, other people and, you know, other students would come in. And so I got to meet other students that way. Um, and so that was just nice. And so the whole lecture was on campus. The lab was on campus. We had the full time. And then, you know, this semester I'm really looking forward to, um, because I have, two classes on campus. Um, I have one class that's over Zoom, but I just chose to take it that way because it's a little easier in my schedule. And then um, I have three online classes and I'm super excited to actually start to live the college life that, you know, I got, I missed out on for so long because of COVID. Yeah. Do you, are you going to have any intern, um, you know, projects that'll be available to you? Will you be able to go out and and work with some of the professionals? Yeah. Um, you know, yeah. really, yeah. Right. Most, most likely I'll end up in an internship just to do it. My degree, um, you know, there are some degrees that require internships. Mine is not one of those. Um just because it's so general. Um, Like most of my classes are, you know, health information systems, U.S. healthcare systems. So like very general um, healthcare classes. Um, And it's more geared towards health administration more than anything. So, you know, I will probably do an internship somewhere in something. but, you know, it's not nothing that I'm like, you know, heavily looking into yet, um, since I will be working at the college next semester as well. Um, but I mean, we'll see. We'll see what happens kind of as it goes on. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. That is great. Yeah. I'm so excited. Yeah. Yeah. It has really been nice talking to you. Yes. It's been nice talking to you, too. Thank you so much for being on. Yeah, I know we kind of got off track. Did you have to? <laughs> <laughs> no, that is okay. Yes, no, that is perfect. It's always so, nice to get off track sometimes too. Yeah, yeah. 
So I have I have granddaughters and uh, three of them, and and uh, we get along so great. I always enjoy visiting with them, and and they keep me in the loop on what they're doing. And um, so it, you know, it's really interesting. I really enjoyed meeting you, and I see your dad, you know, on his posts on Facebook and stuff. He is so proud of you, girls. <laughs> Anything else that you had for me that you wanted to ask me before we end up or? No, I think we got a lot of good information. Hope one day to get to meet you. Maybe if I get down to Disney World, I'll look you up when I'm in Florida and uh, we'll have a coffee or something. Yes, I'm always down for that. (laughs) Yeah, me too. Yes. Well, thank you so much. Thank you, honey. Thank you all for listening to this week's episode of Grace of Military Child podcast. If you enjoyed listening, don't forget to follow, like, share, subscribe, review, and comment. You can also follow us at Grace of a Military Child podcast on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram for more podcast-related content. If you or someone you know is a military child who would like to be on the podcast, please send us a message to one of our social media platforms, or you can send an email to grace.of.a military.child at gmail.com. Tune in next Thursday to hear another incredible journey.